open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 109. Some psalms are uh, soothing, Psalm 23, when you're uh, stressed, when you're struggling with something. Psalm 23rd Psalm is just one of those comforting psalms that, that, that fill our hearts with God's care in our lives. Others, uh, like Psalm 91, uh, remind us of his protection for us. There are psalms that inspire us to worship and to sing his praises, Psalm uh, 103 as an example. Uh, psalm 109 is not like those. Not in any fashion like that. Uh, and, and if you look at the, the start of it, the, the superscription there, for the choir director. And this is a psalm that is meant to be sung in worship. And when we read this, you're going to scratch your head and go, really? They, they sang this in worship? You've got to be kidding me. But yet, that is what it says. Uh, this is one of the imprecatory psalms. An imprecatory psalm is a psalm that calls down cursing upon enemies. And this is the most vivid and roughest of the imprecatory psalms. I mean, it is kill them, crush them, kill their children, make sure their wives are widowed, take everything that they have, leave them with nothing. God, I just praise you. <laughs> Basically, that's, that's what it is. And, and this is, uh, within the, the context of what we're studying over the past couple of weeks, this is one of those passages in Scripture where we scratch our head and go, really? Now, I can see why David might have been upset and, and, and wrote this and prayed this, but then he wrote it so that they could sing it in worship, in, in those times, in temple worship. And now here we are, some uh, 2,800 years later, and it's in God's holy word. It is inspired. It is there for us today. What do we do with it? So that's what we're after today. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And I'll read Psalm 109. Heavenly Father, as we come to this psalm today, we, we pray that our eyes would be open. Um, that we would see it, see it in context, and see it in our lives as well. How do you call us? to understand this, how you call us to apply it and live these things out. We ask for your wisdom today in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 109, for the choir director, it is a psalm of David. O God of my praise, be not silent, for they have opened the wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers, but I am in prayer. Thus they have repaid me evil for good and hatred for my love. And here comes the tough part. Appoint a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him come forth guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children wander about and beg, and let them seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. Let the creditor seize all that he has, and let the strangers plunder the product of his labor. Let there be none to extend loving kindness to him, nor any to be gracious to his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off. 
in a following generation, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and do not let the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, continually, that he may cut off their memory from the earth, because he did not remember to show loving kindness, but persecuted the afflicted and needy man, and the despondent in heart he put them to death. He also loved cursing, so it came to him, and he did not delight in blessing, so it is far from him. But he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment, and it entered into his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him as a garment with which he covers himself, and for a belt with which he constantly girds himself. Let this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord and of those who speak evil against my soul. But thou, O God the Lord, deal kindly with me for thy name's sake. Because thy loving kindness is good, deliver me. For I am afflicted and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. And I am passing like a shadow when it lengthens. I am shaken off like the locust. My knees are weak from fasting, and my flesh has grown lean without fatness. I also have become a reproach to them. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to thy loving kindness. And let them know that this is thy hand. Thou, Lord, has done it. Let them curse, but do thou bless. When they arise, they shall be ashamed, but thy servant shall be glad. Let my accusers be clothed with dishonor, and let them cover themselves with their own shame as with a robe. With my mouth I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord, and in the midst of many I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who judge his soul. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Charles Spurgeon said, The Jews must have found it hard to chant such strong language without feeling a spirit of revenge excited within them. And the arousal of that spirit could never have been the object of divine worship in any period of time. Basically, he says, they were singing this in worship. And what would be the attitude of your heart if you were singing this in worship? And I thought, well, you know, we have a Psalter. And the Psalter is... Uh, In fact, we have many psalters, but basically it is the psalms put into music so we can sing them in the modern church. So I thought, well, surely they didn't include this one in the psalter. There are four psalms, four songs from this one psalm, and it includes everything. You know, they, they go through and, yeah, you know, let them be childless. Let their posterity be cut off. Let their name be blotted out, and they're just singing it away. So, you know, we, we read this, we go, How, uh, what do I do with this, Lord? Because David not only seeks the punishment of his enemies, but the painful consequences of that punishment be brought upon his enemy's family and his enemy's children and the generations down the line. Because we know from Scripture, it's not just to you, but, you know, the sin gets paid out to the third and the fourth generation. Um, so, so what do we do? I mean, let, let his children wander around and beg. Let them seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. Guy must have been bad. Whoever did this to David, whatever he did, he must have done something really, really bad. Okay? Now, 
And David says throughout the psalm that the accusations by his enemies are baseless. And we see this on on several occasions in the Psalms. David says, Lord, my my heart has been righteous before you. I have not done anything. And and what does he say here? I, 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 uh, I prayed for them and they spoke terribly against me. I've shown them kindness and they've repaid evil, uh, hatred for my love. So David has acted, apparently from his own words, righteous and caring and loving. And his enemies have just piled up on top of him and done terrible things to him. So, now, now there's, there's two aspects of this. One, have you ever wanted to pray something like this about someone? Okay? Uh, odds are, yeah. We, we've, some things have been done to us. And the question would be, well, have you ever actually done it? Lord, rain destruction down upon their heads. Because you know I've been righteous. And, and there's a key phrase that you have to wrestle with. Because you know I have been righteous. David can pray this prayer, and this, this is really the short version of the explanation of why. He can pray it because he has acted obediently and righteous to the Lord, before the Lord. He has done everything that the Lord has called him to do as a, as a, as a, a man of the covenant, a man of faith to his enemies. And his enemies have just done terrible things to him. So he says, Lord, get him. Now, notice David doesn't say, Lord, empower me that I can kill the enemies. No, he says, Lord, you do it. And why? And the answer is because of your steadfast love, your name's sake. Do it for your name's sake, Lord. So, again, Spurgeon says, let those who would pray for the destruction of their enemies be as quick as David to have God search their own hearts and to deal with them as they would have him judge their enemies. Imprecatory psalms, imprecatory prayers, prayers of cursing on our enemies have to be done with a heart that has confessed our own sin, has to have to be done with a heart that is right before the Lord. If we have not done our part, we have no business calling judgment down upon the en- our enemies if we are still harboring terrible thoughts, if we have done something to them, we must be clean of sin here. So whenever we find an imprecatory psalm or an imprecatory portion of Scripture, uh, we never find it in a triumphal or um, gloating context. You know, you go ahead and mess with me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the judgment of the Lord down upon you because the Lord's on my side. He's not on your side. We never find that in Scripture. We never see that. Um, instead, the issue and the imprecatory psalms always come from a position of weakness. Lord, this is what has been done to me. I've been righteous. I've followed your will. They have been evil. And the curse always recognizes God as the only, the singular, the sole source of deliverance. The only source of deliverance. And God is righteous in his judgment. If he judges and brings curses down upon the enemy of David here, it is because God alone is righteous. It is because it is his will to carry these things out. So we have to acknowledge our weakness when we go to these things in prayer. Now, just just as an aside, uh, for the context, you know, most churches have a... I I should say that. Some churches have a list of things that you must not do if you're going to be a member there. 
you know, the old joke, well, they, they don't smoke, drink, or chew, or grow with girls that do. So you have, if you're going to join, you have to do that. Uh, I happen to know one small Presbyterian denomination that to be a member, you have to abstain from alcohol. Okay? And, and um, as you can imagine, in this culture, it's a, it's a pretty small denomination. Um, <laughs> now, I'm sure that has a context and a history. But understand, it, it, is, it doesn't say you have to abstain from gossip or from murder, or from um, your pettiness, or anything like that. It just has one thing there. Well, in the context of the psalm, the great sin that they have perpetrated upon David is character assassination. They have assassinated his character. And you think, wow, David, this is pretty serious. I mean, you want them killed, you want their kids to be fatherless, you want to be homeless. Why? Because they have assassinated your character? Yes, that is the context here. And, and David lays out here, uh, well, we'll get to how he lays them, them out, but there are 24 curses in verses 6 through 20. C.S. Lewis says it's just like a slap in the face. How do we as believers in Christ deal with these things? We see them from David, and is this really... Am I to curse my enemy like David has done? In fact, C.S. Lewis calls, in one of his writings, calls Psalm 109 sub-Christian. Sub-Christian. But yet it is here for us. So how do we understand it? Let me give you five quick things about the imprecatory psalms in general. And then we'll look specifically at some of these things here. Um, first, we need to understand that these songs. These psalms call down God's judgment upon the enemy. They do not call down our own judgment upon the enemy. But the enemy has done something to God's anointed king. So when they do something to God's anointed king, when they assassinate the character of David, they are in effect assassinating the character of God because he is God's man, right? He is the one who was anointed. Samuel came along poured the oil on him, he spent all those years running from Saul, and now he is, and, and he is king. So you assault the king, you assault God in this context. Second, in, in, in praying for the cursing of, of the enemy here, uh, we understand that, that God is working out his redemptive purposes in a king who represents his people. David doesn't take matters into his own hand. He calls upon God to do it in God's own way, in God's own time. You know, so often we, we, we pray and we want God to act. Okay, God, you've got, uh, you know, I'm in a bind, so you've got like two days to, to, to handle this. Well, God's time is not my time. He's got perfect time. I've got, uh, what, what's the thing, your, your failure to do what you're supposed to does not constitute an emergency in my life. Is that the thing? Something like that. Um, yeah, our, our, our getting ourselves into a mess does not constitute God must act right now according to our timetable. And David understands that. It's going to act according to God's timetable. There's also an issue here that we see in, in David's character as an example. That David is not vindictive. Remember, Saul chased him through the desert and through the wilderness and into the caves, and David had three chances to kill him, and he said, no, I'm not going to raise my hand against God's anointed. 
So David is not vindictive. We do not see this as a pattern in David's life. So this must be pretty serious here. So it's that, that kind of thing where we, we, we hate the sin, but there is a love here for the sinner in the sense of we, we want the sinner to be redeemed. We want somebody who is our enemy, somebody who is attacking us. We want that to stop. We want that sin, sin to be punished, but we want them to know Christ. We want them to understand that there is forgiveness for these actions. And David, written throughout this psalm, it's like, you know, they, Lord, do this for your mercy. Do this for your loving kindness that their hearts might be changed in the midst of this. Third, remember that these people are wicked. According to their own actions, according to the standard of God, they are wicked. So, God, uh, so David wants punishment of the wicked. And it's wicked according, again, to God's standard. Fourth, I, th- I think it's good that we understand it's right that the wicked be punished. It is, it is appropriate. There's nothing wrong with the wicked to be punished. If we were going to pick out the wicked in this world today, who might we pick? You don't have to say it. You just pick in your own, own heart. Uh, yeah, I got some ideas of who would be wicked, who are purposely persecuting believers, who believers are, are, are living their lives out in, 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 Christian, in a Christian fashion, but they're being persecuted. They are being killed in some instances. Those people that would be appropriate for us to pray in precatory song, psalm upon them. Okay, So it is right to desire punishment of evil. The punishment of evil and those who oppose God. Not just those who, not those who oppose Randy. You know, well, you know, the, the choir just won't do what I want them to do. So I'm going to pray an imprecatory psalm upon the choir. No, that's not appropriate. They have to be an enemy of God and his purposes, his purposes. Um, and then fifth, um, the just judgment of God and the punishment of the wicked here ought to move our hearts in a sense to make very clear that we are the proclaimers of God's redemption. We are the proclaimers of God's salvation. Um, so often we see and, and, and support here missionaries who go into the Muslim world. We don't know where they are, but they're just in the Muslim world because to name the town that they're in might put their lives in danger because such is the, um, the threat of taking the gospel into some places. And it's, it's you know, the, the love of the lost should should be one of those things that we overlay an imprecatory psalm with, that we understand they're lost, they need to hear the gospel, they need to understand the things of Christ. Yes, they are wicked, yes, sin will be punished, but they need grace and they need mercy in the same way that that we do. So verses 1 through 5 here, uh, David lays out, he kind of starts this out and gives us an introduction here. Do not be silent. Now, the context of the whole psalm here is like a courtroom. So we want somebody to give testimony, and David is calling upon the Lord to give testimony for him here. Do not be silent. And this is the reason. They've opened the, for they've opened the wicked and deceitful mouth. They've spoken against me. They've surrounded me. They fought against me. In return for my love, they're accusing me. I am in prayer. They've repaid my evil for my, they paid me evil for good, hatred for love. 
So he says, Lord, testify on my side. Be on my side in this case, Lord, because here is the evidence that I present to you about what I have done and what they have done. Speak for my reputation. And David understands that just one word, one word would do it. And, and we see this throughout Scripture, the power of, of what happens when God speaks. God spoke creation into existence. He didn't get and form stuff. He didn't say, I've got to find some, some dirt and, and make the earth. He just spoke it and it happened. He spoke it and there was light. He spoke it and the water was there. We see when the Roman cohort comes to arrest Jesus right just before his crucifixion. And the 600 soldiers come up and they say, are you Jesus? And he says, I am he. And what happens to those 600 soldiers? Boom, they all fall down at the name of Christ. Such is the power of the word of God. And you think, I've read scripture to people and they haven't fallen down. Okay, Well, maybe it's the power of God in scripture to change lives. That this is the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So just one, David knows just one word would do it. It would change these things. So here we come to the... uh, 6 through 20, and this is all the list. Well, I'm just going to hit some highlights of the list. Um, uh, it is a litany of deserved curses. It's not a calling down of punishment on the innocent. It is a calling down of punishment upon those who are guilty. Now, look at verse 2 first. It says, For they have opened the wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me. Now look at verse 6. Appoint a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. So there's a change here from plural to singular. And you think, well, okay, well, what what does that signify? Well, it, it could be that there's a bunch of people doing it and David wants one in particular. Or it could also remind us that there is one accuser for the church. There is one accuser for believers, and that is Satan. So when we see this psalm, it's, it's not only those who are doing wicked, but it, it could very easily be applied to the things of Satan. Lord, bring these punishments against Satan. Bring his destruction, for he accuses your church. He accuses your son. And, and remember, this psalm, some of this psalm is used in speaking of Judas as well in the New Testament. So let's look at uh, verse 8 as an example. Shorten his life. Boy, what does that mean? That he should die at 70 instead of 75? I think David wants his life shortened to 35. You know, maybe this week, Lord, cut him off. Let his days be few. Let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. I mean, this is, this is very serious stuff here uh, that David is saying. He wants this guy dead. Dead. And he doesn't go and do it, but he wants the Lord to do it. Now, it might, be, it, it might seem in our, in our view, because, you know, Jesus says, what are we to do for our enemies? Pray for them. You know, love them in, in showing your enemy kindness. What are you putting on his head? Hot coals, okay? I mean, that just, just 
makes him angrier when you're kind to him. Well, we're supposed to show loving kindness. Uh, David is not uh, kill him, make him, make his children fathers. That's not loving kindness here. Make his children wander around and beg. I mean, let's not only get him, but get his kids. You know. But David's prayer here is based upon who God is in the Old Testament, how He presents Himself, what He says He will do for His covenant people. These are the promises for you. These are the promises for those who are not within the covenant. And when it gets to the children, we know from Exodus and Deuteronomy, it's those for the third and fourth generation of who? Those who hate God. It's not those who are just having trouble, not those who are strayed a little bit, but those who hate God. That punishment will be placed upon generations afterwards. Um. How about uh, verse 10? So let the children wander around and beg. Let them seek sustenance far from their homes. It's the extinction, basically, of this guy's family. Rub them out. Disperse them so that they can no longer be a family. Because God's blessings come upon those who are faithful and their progeny, those who come afterwards. God's curses as well come on those who are are wicked and their progeny. So in praying for the financial ruin of his enemies and the extinction of his family, God's, uh, David's saying, God, act in the way that you have said you would act for those who belong to you, the way that you promise to act. So David, much like the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 18 of Jeremiah, cries out to God, do what you promised. This is the way that you are. This is the way that you said you would be. Now live that out in these people's lives. But, you know, it's, it's, David's request is no more severe than what God has already said that he's going to do. And, and remember, in context, the Israelites didn't think that the, God's principles and, and, and promises were out of the ordinary. This is what a God does for his people. It was not uncommon for the pagans to go to their God and say, curse our enemies. Well, their gods were pieces of stone and pieces of wood. They had no power. So this was the norm in this society at a time. So to call upon God to curse your enemies was just routine. Look at 14. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. Do not let the sin of his mother be blotted out. Okay, it's, 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 he's, he's just getting everybody here. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may be cut off, that he may cut off their memory from the earth. Do you remember that member family, uh, so-and-so? No, I don't, don't recall them. Ah, that's what David wants. He wants them to be wiped out, no memory. It's those who hate God. This, remember, these are those who hate God. They deserve God's judgment. They have been merciless. They should receive no mercy. This is what he's saying. They love to curse. So let cursing come to them. Look at 17. He also loved cursing, so it came to him. And he did not delight in blessing, so it was far from him. He would, the, this individual, whoever, did not go around encouraging people, did not go around saying nice things to people, so there'd be no blessing upon him. He clothed himself with cursing as a garment, 
and it entered into his body like water and oil into his bones. It was just part of who this person was, that he would go around and be nasty and be wicked. It's somebody who like bad to the bone. That's what David is saying here. So let it be to him as a garment which covers him and a belt which constantly girds his waist. Let these curses be to him in the same way that they have been a part of him to others. So David is not a nasty guy, but he's being nasty here. Now look at 21. But thou, O God, the Lord, deal kindly with me. Why? For your namesake. Because of your loving kindness. I'm afflicted. My heart's wounded. I'm passing like a shadow when it lengthens. My knees are weak from fasting. So David has been in prayer here. He has been on his knees. He has been before the Lord mourning what is going on. My flesh has grown lean. I've also become a reproach to them when they see me. They wag their heads. There's David on his knees again, you know, not eating. Just what in the world is he doing? Well, he's praying this prayer. Help me, O Lord. Save me according to your loving kindness for your name's sake. And then at the end, we, we see, and this is common in, in imprecatory psalms. At the end, he, he praises God. With my mouth, I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord. In the midst of many, I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who judge his soul. We jump to the New Testament. There's a guy named Stephen. Remember Stephen? And he just, you know, maybe that's why I don't want to preach a really good sermon. Because he preached such a good sermon, they killed him. Okay? <laughs> that's what it was. And there he is. He's in the pit. And that's typically how they stoned you. They, they threw you in a hole and everybody stood around and, and threw the stones. And you could just imagine the stones hitting, hitting him and breaking his bones. And, and what happens there? He says, don't, don't hold this against him. I'll hold this against him. And who does he see? He sees Christ standing next to the Father as the intercessor for him before the Father. Now, uh, in, 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 the, in the Apostles' Creed, what do we say? And, and Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. We don't see him standing at the right hand of the Father except here in Stephen's prayer. And then when, he, when he reveals himself to Stephen at one of these most trying times in his life, he says, in a sense, I'm standing with a posture of intercession, ever living to intercede on behalf of my chosen ones. This is the love that our Father has for us. In whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever trial we find ourselves in, Christ intercedes for us. This psalm is not personal vindictiveness. It's a statement of, Lord, here is evil. Act in the way that you have said you would. And, and when we look at this, we say, do I really want to pray curses down upon my enemies? I do not want to pray curses down upon my enemies. I want to pray curses down upon his enemies his enemies because if i start picking and choosing the enemies you know my selfishness and my pettiness is going to be in the way but when we see people who purposely want to destroy the things of christ those are the enemies of christ 
Yes, they need to hear the gospel. Yes, they need uh, uh, challenge to repent. But enemies of God will be judged. And in the end, it's the same thing. When Christ returns, too late. Judgment will come. So now's the time for redemption, and now's the time for a proclamation of the gospel. And if people refuse to repent, then the Lord will bring judgment upon them. Our job is not to pray for their destruction. Our job is to pray for the destruction of the enemies of the Lord and their salvation first. And if they choose not to, if they do not pursue the things of Christ, if the Lord does not open their hearts, he will judge them. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are not David, and we understand that right off. We are not your chosen king, but we are your chosen people. You have moved in our hearts and and opened our eyes to the things of Christ. And we understand this this wonderful grace and mercy that, that is given to us. It is so undeserved. But there are plenty of individuals, plenty of groups in this world, plenty of nations that purposely pursue what is wicked, purposely pursue what goes against the things we understand in your word. Lord, you will judge them in your time. And we don't have any doubts about that. You will bring upon them punishment for their wickedness. But you will do it in your time according to your plan. Until then, Lord, we pray that that our eyes might be opened. How we might convey the message of redemption to those in our lives presently. How those who might be now wicked and and your enemy, how their lives might be changed by the gospel message. And Paul writes in plenty, plenty of places, yes, we too were like that at one time. There are plenty of us here who can remember when we weren't believers, when we were not your children when we were your enemy, but you were gracious to us and you were merciful to us and you brought people into our lives who would live and and proclaim the gospel to us and you used them to change our lives. Lord, we pray that we might be used in that way as well, that those around us who are enemies of you, those around us who pursue wickedness and pursue evil, that their lives might be changed in the same fashion that you have changed ours. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.